Hello, and welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, and I believe that the best leaders don't try to do it alone. As the CEO of Bregman Partners, my mission for over 30 years and the mission of this podcast is to help successful people like you close your leadership gaps, grow as leaders, and inspire your team, inspire all the people around you to get great results. With us today is Simon Sinek. We're really lucky. Uh, we're both in New York. We're both on the Upper West Side. So we decided to do this one as one of our live podcasts. Um, Simon, I, I, love, I love your bio, right? The, the first line of Simon's bio is an unshakable optimist who believes in a bright future and our ability to build it together. And I think um, everything that you do follows that why, in a sense, like follows that uh, purpose that you have. Uh, and Simon's uh, publicized and, and popularized this idea of knowing your why and finding your why in a 2009 TED Talk that got millions and millions of views. How many views? 40 million views, subtitled in 47 languages. He's written most recently the book The Infinite Game, which I really loved, and we're going to talk about some today. And I'm very happy to have you on the podcast. Welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Thanks for having me. So. Um, you know, let's actually start, let's not start at the infinite game. Let's start at what brought you, you know, this, this, the why and like, what is your why became this seminal turning point mm -hmm. in, in both your career and also like in the way that a lot of people think about the work that they do. Mm -hmm. What brought you to that idea? Pain. <laughs> um, it wasn't supposed to be what it became. It was, um, it came at a time in my life where I had lost my passion for my own work. Mm -hmm. What was your um, work at the time? I had a, a strategic marketing consultancy. Uh -huh. And you know, we did good work and I was living the American dream. I own my own little business. Right. We had great clients. Um, and we, you had partners had a with of, you. A couple employees, couple of employees, yeah. yeah. And, uh, but I fell out of love and I didn't want to wake up and do it again. Right. You know, people give stupid advice. Do what you love. Well, I'm doing the same thing. I don't love it anymore. Now what am I supposed to do? Right. You know, find your bliss. Thank you. You know? Um, your bliss changes because you change. Well, I mean... Was it your bliss at the beginning? Who knows? You know, but the point is it's not actionable advice. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, only do work you're passionate for. It's right. not... It's not... It's true. It's just not helpful. Right. Um, and so it was a, a kind of dark period. And I... Because I was embarrassed because things were superficially good. Did you hate it? Were you just out of love with it, but you kind of enjoyed it? What was your experience of it? How bad was it? It was dark. I mean, it was I, dark. I was. So you I really did I not. Really like didn't it. want to do it, and right. I hadn't. I didn't know. I didn't. I feel. Tra I felt like I was trapped right. and had no options, and uh, and it wasn't. And I was lying, hiding, and faking every day. You know, all of my energy went into pretending that I was happier, more successful, and more in control than I felt. Right. Um, and a dear friend came to me and said, "I'm worried about you," huh. and and it gave me a safe space to to come clean. And what did your friend notice that he or she was worried about? Like, how did they know to say I'm worried about you? You know, what makes a good friend a good friend? They notice. Right. Right. And they, they notice what everybody else is, that I was able to fake, you know? So, uh, so many people, by the way, in the work that we do, mm, I think, mm. are in that place where they are pretending to be more successful than they are or pretending to like, you know, like putting yeah. on that good face. I, I mean, for, for, for many reasons. Some it's because they're going through what I went through right. and some they, false, tactical strategy. they falsely believe that by pretending they're more successful, it makes them, you know, more in demand. Yeah, right. It's like anybody that has, you know, you know, 
Peter Bergman Consulting International. Right. <laughs> Usually, if it's international, it means it's probably out of your basement. You know, uh, <laughs> right. uh, global is different. Global, global is different. Me and right. Big corporations are Big global, right. but, but individuals, international, no, not no, so no. much. <laughs> um, but uh, I, you know, and I was very grateful because it gave me the safe space and all of that energy that went into lying, hiding, and faking, faking went right. into finding a solution. And the solution I found was an idea that I'd been tinkering with called the why, but it was only designed to help companies understand how to better market themselves, how to better talk about themselves. Right. And I started to learn about the biology of human decision-making and recognize that this idea that I had about marketing and the biology of human decision-making, the reason it worked in marketing is because it was real. It right. wasn't my opinion. Right. It was actually grounded in something. And so I recognized that I knew what I did and I knew how I did it, but I didn't know why. So I became right. obsessed. Um, I was able to figure out my why, um, ask somebody for help to, to do that. We don't have objectivity about ourselves. Right. Um, and it, it restored my passion to levels I'd really never, never experienced before. Shared it with my friends. My friends started making crazy life changes themselves. Mm -hmm. And they invited me to their homes to share it with their friends. And I would literally stand in someone's living room in New York City and talk about this thing called the why and help people find their why for 100 bucks on the side. <laughs> And, uh, and in some ways, it's not totally different than strategy work with an organization because an organization's strategy work should come out of their why, right? Should. Right. Is the operative word. Right. There. But that wasn't the way you were doing strategy work or most people. No, do it was the way I work. was doing strategy work. I just didn't understand what, what was so profound was understanding the biological component and recognizing that the reason good marketing or good communications worked um, was because it literally tapped into how people make decisions and how people, how people right. think and feel. Um, and so it, it has a it has a very personal and if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. I mean, organization. You know, I love it when people. IBM today announced. IBM didn't announce anything. Somebody made a decision and told the PR department to whip something right. up. Right. Somebody approved it, and right. today IBM announced. You know, right. it's human beings. Right. It's always human beings. Right. You know, we we put these sort of facades on human beings, and they right. become these corporations that announce. Right. In fact, I was thinking about this recently. That I was just reading yet yet another statement by a senior leader saying our employees are our most important asset and and my question was who's saying this that's not also an employee right like right. our employees are like who's 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 putting this out well, like not, and and who's saying it and are you actually you know making almost decisions? never you know that's the thing that drives me nuts which right. is i've never met a ceo who doesn't believe their people are important the question is where on the list are they right you know number one you know, uh, growth, number right. two, shareholder value, number three, our customer, number four, our employees. See, right. see, I told you, right. our people are really important. But they are, and actually, right on the even, list. Even if they're the top of the list, the real question of what our values are is the choices that we make when our values Correct. are in contradiction with of each course. other, right? Or of in course. conflict, right? Of course. And so, like, are, you know, are they making, are, are people really, you know who did that was, and I cannot remember his name, you might know his name, the CEO of Alcoa. Mm -hmm. When he, I, I love the story of when he, came in and it was turnaround and he said, my, you may know the story better than I do, but, but he came around and he said, you know, the, the only thing I'm concerned about is employee safety. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, people, the, the financial analysts who were in the room couldn't get mm. out of the room fast enough mm. to put a sell order on the mm -hmm. stock. Mm -hmm. You know, three years later, it was mm -hmm. worth, you know, multiples of, of what it was before. Of course, because, you know, but that, remember the whole financial analyst community their entire bonus structure is based on on, on the short term. Right. You know, long-term investors don't pay any attention right. to what Citicorp analysts think. Right. They right. have their own analysts. Right. Warren right. Buffett has right. his own analysts. Right. Um, the entire industry, you know, CNBC, all of it is right. is for the short game. Right. And so we shouldn't be taking advice from people who literally aren't interested 
in the success of our own organizations. Right. Let me ask you about the moment when you make this decision. I'm going to, because this is, I think, a moment that is very um, scary for a lot of people. Uh, and, and it's full of sort of promise, but also doubt. This moment when you decide, okay, I'm going to leave this thing mm. that, that I'm faking, that doesn't feel me, that, but it's successful. Mm -hmm. Right? I'm doing well by it. Like it mm -hmm. could continue to be successful. I'm going to leave that, and I'm going to do this thing that I'm making a hundred bucks a session on, mm -hmm. right? Which I'm assuming was not the as much as you were making in your strategy mm -hmm. consulting firm, right? So, so why I was doing it on the side, right? So you're doing this thing on the side, mm -hmm. and you make this decision, and it, it might have been an easy decision because you got 40 million views on this. I, uh, you know, this. No, uh, no, this was this was years before that. So, so this was years. Everybody thinks you know I showed up with the TED talk and a book. Right. I was giving that talk for three years. So, Before the TED talk. so tell me what was going on for you emotionally too, yeah. of like, because that's a really hard choice to make to go. I'm going to leave this that I know is profitable yeah. and doesn't fit in order for this, which I'm passionate about and and I'm connected to and makes me feel alive. But I'm making a hundred bucks. It's more. It was even worse than that, which is, closed the company, got out of my lease. You know, I had a business lease, I had an office, got out of my lease, mm -hmm. and started from scratch. And a lot of my friends were very worried about me. They thought I went out of business. The same friends um, who were like, I'm worried about you beforehand. They're like, now I'm really worried right. about no, you. No, no, actually, actually different friends. Uh, it was actually the easiest decision I've ever made because really? when you have focus and passion for something and you, you know, it was, it was, it seems like a, a, a gut-wrenching decision if you can't see what I can see. Right. But that's what vision is. Right. You know, when you can see something with so, so much clarity and the path, it's hard work, but you right. can see a path. It may not be the path. Right. But you can see a path. It was actually a really surprisingly simple decision. A path to, because I think this is an important piece. Like you see a path to. Well, so, so the anal here's the analogy. You know, you're married. Right. You know, you're, you're spending time with a human being. And at some point in that relationship, it becomes absolutely obvious to both of you that this is going to be forever. Right. And you make a decision to legally unite your relationship right. where it comes with a whole host of legal requirements right you know right. Uh, uh, when you get married but when you people say oh, you, you really want to do this I mean and you go of course it's, it's the simplest decision we ever made it's just a, it's a formality like we love each other of course of course we want to do this it's the same thing you know it, it's it's you, you, and the vision you have is a life together and a family and vacations together and partnership and it's not a crystal clear but you can you can right. see it hazily in the future right it's the same thing like I think anyone that has any kind of vision of the future for their life whether it's professional or personal you, the clearer that is and it's not a it's not a sit-down decision you're not you don't sit down and go well this person makes a good wife because X Y and Z I mean you're talking to somebody who I knew Eleanor, my wife, 11 years before we got married. Yeah. We did took five so years of counseling yeah. to like really, you know, like, so I'm not really like the like, let's just jump and do this thing after knowing each other for a couple of years. But, but and, you did it. But we did it, right, yeah. exactly, exactly. It's okay. And, and, and like, we couldn't have imagined actually the road that of we've been not. on for the past 20 years. Uh, you think I imagined right. anything that I'm right. doing right now? Right. Nothing. No, but you know Zero. that this is where I want to spend well, my time. I, what my I life. knew was I, I believed in a, I, what I knew is I believed in this thing enough right. that I wanted other people to experience what I experienced. Right. You know, we treat loving our work like a luxury. Right. 
um, you know, you go out with a bunch of your friends and somebody at the table says, I love my job and everybody else goes, oh my God, you're so lucky. Like they won something. Right. And because I was able to turn around not loving my work into right. loving my work. Right. And it wasn't the work. It's not like I got a new job at a different company selling right. a different thing and I'm like, oh my God, I love this. Right. It was the same thing. I love these people. I, I hated right. those people. Exactly. Right. Because it was the same thing. I made the, I came to the conclusion that this thing called loving work was a right and not a privilege. Right. And it's not just for the lucky few who get to say, I love my work. Everyone gets to say it. And because I had figured out how I could do it for myself, I wanted other people to have that same experience. Right. Because it was so much better to wake up in the morning inspired to go to work right. than dreading going to work. Right. And so, um, though I didn't know how I was going to get there, mm -hmm. um, I knew that I wanted more people to, to have this experience. Right. And so for me, the fun part, this is the entrepreneurial journey, right. which is, ah, I'll figure it out, you know? Right. Like, and I started off doing consulting. I don't really do any consulting anymore. That wasn't the path. And I've refined and figured out a model, and I've made certain decisions that are right for me, but, you know, uh, right for the movement. Right. Um, um, so I didn't know the details. I just knew a, a, a sense of destination. Right. You know, um, and you think of it as a movement. It feels it, it's a movement. It's your oh, it's a movement. Yeah, we we don't talk about when we make decisions in the company. We don't say is this right for the company. We say is this right for the movement. Right. It's how we make decisions. Right. Um, we think of ourselves as, as messengers. You know, carrying a, a powerful message. We try and provide tools to help advance that message and help people grasp that message. Mm -hmm. But oh, make no mistake of it, it's a movement. And, and what's we want to move movement? people from here to there. Right. So you want to move them from. We want to create a world in which the vast majority of people wake up every single morning inspired, feel safe at work, and return home fulfilled at the end of the day. Right. That could meet someone who works in a corporation. It could be an entrepreneur. It could be someone who's a, a home builder. Right. Why shouldn't every person uh, uh, wake up in the morning inspired to raise their family, right. feel safe in doing right. so from the other family members, and go to bed at night fulfilled? I mean, that is that is a right and not a privilege. Right. Are there moments even in this journey that is exciting and inspiring to you where you feel like, you know what, today I'm not totally inspired. Like, I don't, so this is what people confuse about um, joy and happiness. Mm -hmm. Happiness is fleeting. Winning right. a client, happy. Right. Hitting a financial goal, happy. Right. You know? Right. But that, that goes away. Right. Joy is, is, is like love. Joy is, uh, is an ongoing thing. Right. And, and, you know, you love your kids every day. You don't like your kids every day, right? right? You can love your work every day, but you don't have to like it every day. Right. There are plenty of days I do right. not like, right. but I still love it. And you have this sense, I'm in, I'm, I'm in the right place, doing the right thing yeah. with the right people. Yeah, and right. I make mistakes, right. and I correct, and sometimes uh, it hurts, right. and sometimes it's certain, and sometimes it's uncertain. Right. I mean, it's, the, the, the difference is I, I, I make these things with, a, with, and this is what the why does for anybody which is it helps you make these decisions while looking up rather than looking down. Right. You know, I, I, I see the forest for the trees right. always. Right. And I'm not navigating by, based on the rocks and the stumps in front of me. Did you have any moments as you were building this where you felt like, where you, where you were worried this might not work? I mean, right now you're very successful. You've written a bunch of books. They're bestsellers. You know, you, you are leading a movement and there's a lot of people joining you and working on this and it's inspiring. Were there moments on this where you had that doubt? Or, of course, of yeah. course, of course. And how do you keep yourself going in those moments? I, I have people who believe in me, and who people who believe in the in in that this is the right work to do. Right. And, you know, courage is not internal fortitude. Right. 
courage is is fear and acting anyway right it's not the absence of fear and of courage doesn't come from digging down deep courage right. comes from somebody who says to you i got your back right i believe in you right you got to do this it's the right thing to do yeah, and then and then and then we act right but without another human being no single human being can do this thing called life or career right. alone it's mad it's madness. really powerful uh and and i think people forget that a lot because yeah. it's like we're no, social animals. i've i've i've, I've nah, got this man. thing i'm going to make it happen despite nah. everybody and nah. And it's not just by everybody. There's not a single. There's not a single. There's not a single successful, inspired, and happy person on the planet who did it alone. Zero. So I know leaders who have the same kind of inspired mission that you do, but they also have egos that make it very difficult to bring in other people and empower them and say, go run with this. Like what I care about more is the mission than my own success. I'm not threatened at all by you. And that, like, what do you say to somebody like, do, do you bother with somebody like that? And if you do, what do you say to them to help them sort of soften the part of them that needs to be the center of it and brings in the, the inspiration as, as the center of it? I simply ask them if they can pass the school bus test. What's the school bus test? If you get hit by a school bus, what happens to the organization? Will the people continue without you? Or will they all be like, ah, oh, that sucks, and they'll go find jobs somewhere else? So let me ask you a question about and that. And most people fail the full right. school bus test. So and most, and most, most people with those kinds of command and control uh, instincts, right. if you present it like that, they know that. So here's a question that, I, that I've really been uh, struggling with myself. So Alan Mulally, right? CEO of Boeing, CEO of Ford, good guy. Mm -hmm. I know him. He's he's like, he's good. Like mm -hmm. both. He's one of the good ones. He's one of the good ones, right? Mm -hmm. um, so he turns around Boeing, mm -hmm. right? He turns around Ford. Ford. Mm -hmm. He turns around Ford with all of the original players mm -hmm. who were failing all the beforehand. All, all the, bro the brokenness. All the brokenness. All the brokenness. Mm -hmm. He turned it around, right? Mm -hmm. um, so on the one hand, you look at that and you say, amazing leadership. Sure. Like here's someone who stepped in as a leader, mm -hmm. but failed the school bus test, right? Because when he left, mm. Ford fell off. And well, when he left Boeing, Boeing fell off. Well, it, what, so his leadership was yeah. essential yeah. To, to keeping the bus going. I blame the board. So say more about that. I think boards get off easy. Mm -hmm. They hire and fire CEOs, but they also create incentive structures for those CEOs. Right. And you and I both know that what's going on with Boeing right now that wasn't that CEO acting alone. Right. Absolutely. That board set a set of targets for him. Right. right. Same thing with Volkswagen and all the of them. That board set a set of targets for him based on the price of the equity. Um, and they drove him very, very hard. And um, he succumbed to the pressures of the short-term analyst community. Right. Every CEO, every C-level executive of every public company on the planet behind closed doors knows that Wall Street is a joke. Right. Like, they all talk about it, right. not out loud, right. but behind the, behind the closed doors, right. oh my God, it's just, everybody knows it. They right, know right. that they're forced to make decisions that are bad for their company. Right. I mean, if a company announces mass layoffs, the stock price goes up. Right. And if they announce that they're reinvesting in R&D, the stock price goes down. Right. Like, that's screwed up. It's very screwed up. <laughs> you know? And they all know it. Right. They all roll their right. eyes. Right. They all know the analyst community yeah, yeah. cares nothing about their businesses and only about themselves. Right. And yet they play the game. Right. And so uh, I, I blame uh, the board. Um, for not supporting or in putting in a CEO uh, with vision and the willingness to stand up right. to the analyst community. Um, and there's a lot of blame to go around. The problem is no one will go to jail. 
There's real negligence here. People yeah. died. Right. People died. Two plane loads worth of human beings right. died because the company uh, was worried, more worried about fast more growth than short-term profits. Was more worried about fast growth right. and cut corners and produced an aircraft that shouldn't be in the sky right. and produced, instead of making it an aircraft that should be in the sky, they produced a, a safety mechanism to help it stay in the sky right. with computers and then wouldn't teach everybody how to use that exactly. safety mechanism unless you paid to learn it, so which of course right. the smaller, smaller airlines and, and developing nations aren't gonna do. Right. I mean, like on what planet is this highly ethical behavior? Right. In, in Wall Street land, that's when it's, right. you know? Uh, so, like so, the, the yeah. theme is, I think the, board, I think the board bears some responsibility. Common theme. I think people need to go to jail. Right. And there's such including a... that CEO. He got a sixty-five million dollar. Sorry, this didn't work out. You know. Right. The, this theme that is also a part of human nature, right? Like it's a part of human nature to be inspired and to, mm -hmm. and it's a part of human nature to like greed and sure. like this dark side, right? Sure, absolutely. It's like it's all part of human it's nature. It's all the package. It's all the whole and package. And so, so what have you, in, in your path mm -hmm. of inspiring people and mm -hmm. getting them to, to prioritize, to bias mm -hmm. towards the inspiring, passionate part of their nature versus the sort of greed, mm -hmm. short-termness of it. Mm -hmm. Anything that you've learned that helps people, you know, like I, I assume that there's people watching here who and listening, who feel the tug of both of those things and want to move in this direction of of kind of inspiring and long term and and yet act in ways that don't always reflect mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. What can you say to them or how can you help people, you know, prioritize this one over the other? Mm -hmm. So a, you have to have a, have a sense of where you come from. You need to know why you do what you do. Mm -hmm. You know, you need to know where you come from. You need to know the foundation, the, the inspirational uh, uh, underpinnings. Right. You need to have a sense of just cause, a sense of vision of where you're going to. Right. Um, you need to know that your work is, all the work that we do is, should be to advance something bigger than ourselves. Um, and uh, you need to ensure that the relationships you build around you are trusted and trusting. Right. Um, that we are trusted and we are trusting. Right. Um, and this sort of infinite mindset um, is an insurance policy against the kind of ethical fading you're talking about. Right. Um, a finite mindset, which is waking up every day to win, be number one, be the best, and drive short-term results, mm -hmm. um, increases the likelihood that, that ethics fail. So we're all susceptible, and even good companies and good people have individual ethical lapses. Right. But this doesn't necessarily translate into ethical fading, which is systemic, where an entire company acts unethically. Right. You know, Wells Fargo, right. you know, opening 3.5 million fake bank accounts to meet their, right. their there's, sales there's, goals. It's, what's, what's sad and shameful is there's plenty of examples. Yeah, of course, right? there's plenty like of examples. There's they don't examples. all end up in scandal. Right. But it's, lots a, it's of it, but it, but of even, systemic But issues. even without the scandals, it's, it's uncomfortably common. Right. Um, and and we say the same things to rationalize our unethical Everybody's behavior. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. I got to put food on the table. Right. You know, I got mouths to feed. That's what my boss wants. Or my right. personal favorite one is it's it it's it's the industry standard. Right. That's, I'm like, right. well, right. So what? Right. You know. Right. It's the it's the system, Simon. Right. It's the industry standard. Um, so tell us what the infinite game is. So the infinite game is a, a philosophy. Uh, that was first put forward by a, a, a wonderful human being named James Carse mm -hmm. uh, in the 1980s that, um, that proposes that there are these two kinds of games, finite games and infinite games. Mm -hmm. A finite game is defined as known players, fixed rules, and an agreed-upon objective. Monopoly. Baseball, football, monopoly, right? right? There's a beginning, middle, and end, and if there's a winner, there has to be a loser. Right. right? 
And then you have infinite games. Although soccer these days, in mm. my kids' things, everybody's a winner. Yeah, that's not, yeah, that's not true. Uh, that's just not true. <laughs> um, uh, and then you have infinite games, which are defined as known and unknown players, which means anybody can join at any time. Right. Um, you, uh, you have changeable rules, which means you can play however you want. And the objective is to perpetuate the game and to stay in the game as long as possible. You right. play for the good of the game. Right. So we are players in infinite games every day of our lives, games that have no finish lines. Right. Like there's no such thing as winning career. Like no one's declared the winner of careers. Right. You know, there's no such thing as being number one in your marriage. Right. You know, there's no such thing as winning global politics and there's definitely no such thing as winning business. Right. But if you listen to too many leaders, they talk about being number one, right. being the best and beating their competition. Based on what? Right based on what agreed upon metrics, objectives, or timeframes. Right. It's all made up. And so the problem is, is when we play with a finite mindset, play to win, in a game that has no finish line, right. there's a few very predictable and consistent outcomes. The decline of trust, the decline of cooperation, and the decline of innovation. All the things that we said lead to ethical fading. Right. So these are, these are this is not, um, this is not an, uh, uh, like this is what happens, right? And so the more finite thinking, the more likelihood there is for um, not only unethical behavior, but the more likelihood that um, we create a culture in which people feel like a number rather than a person, feel disposable rather than valuable, mm -hmm. um, don't feel they can trust their colleagues, don't feel like they can trust leadership, and don't feel like they have agency over their own work on a daily basis. Right. Uh, unfortunately, this is what too many people feel every day. It's called stress. Right. It's called stress. That's what it is. Right. Um, and this is why we have work-life imbalance. No amount of yoga is going to fix that. Right. The imbalance we feel is that I feel safe at home, but I don't feel safe at work. And the way to fix that is by creating safe uh, and, 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 and purposeful uh, uh, cultures at work. It feels, as I'm listening to you, like one of the key moves that we have to make in order to play the infinite game versus the finite game is we have to see our... It's not about us. It's about the game, the infinite game, or it's about the purpose. It's not of about what us we're as, doing. As, as us as individuals. As, as individuals. It's about us as a community. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the the us. Like we are smaller mm. than the ultimate us that we're talking Correct. about, right? And um, and and that's like the finite game is I'm going to win. Yeah. Right. The the infinite game is the, we're we're talking ancestors and generations. And you can tell the infinite players because. The infinite players in business want to make business better. You play right. for the good of the game. Right. So you have companies like WD-40 or Container Store or Patagonia who are innovating new ways to make their businesses healthier and, and more successful, and they're sharing those ideas. Right. They, you know, all of those CEOs are out giving speeches right. about how they do it. Right. Zappos. You know, right. they, 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 they share everything about how right. we treat our people and the systems we have right. so that it's good for all business. It, right. it, 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 it makes business healthier. Right. Um, Finite-minded organizations, you know, keep everything closed thinking right. that, you know, it's a competitive advantage the right. way we treat our people. As you know, what's interesting though, because good for the game. Apple is a company that you talk about a lot in, sure. in, in the book. And I can't think of a more secretive company. They're secretive than about Apple. their innovation. They're secretive right. about their process. They're secretive about you know the the you know the, the, and they're they're famous for keeping sort of you know even people inside the company don't yeah. have access to certain rooms because you know right right. But but they're not secretive about you know their special sauce and their vision. They're very open about it. They're they they're very public about saying you know when we hire smart people and they tell us how what great things they did in the past, we're not interested. We're interested about what you're gonna do, not what right. you've done. They're very open right, right, right. about 
about the stuff that's good for the game of business. Right. Um, that's important. Right. Although they're not really like they're not trying to help Microsoft. They're not really trying. I mean, they're not. I don't think they're out to I hurt Microsoft. I mean, um, I mean, in the old days, right? You know, Microsoft, like IBM before them, was a great foil. Right. You know, it was it was you know they is sort of Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker right, right, and right. the dark side and the and the and the and the Force. Right. Uh, you know they uh, they they played against each other. I think I think Microsoft was trying to beat Apple. Apple was trying to outdo itself, right. and Microsoft was a great foil. Right. Um, it's great for rallying the people to have to have a, a common enemy. Right. But but and that's fine. To have a worthy rival is important. Someone that pushes you to be a better version of yourself. But I don't think they re- actually cared whether Microsoft survived or died. You know. A um, little bit of a side note: Is Adam Grant your worthy rival? I don't know. I mean, because he's knows? talked about you know the friendship that's developed, yeah. and the... now, Adam and I have a, a deep, loving respect for each other that used to be a competitive spirit, right? right. Um, and we had a cathartic experience together where we came clean about it, right? And uh, and the nice thing is that energy has has been turned into love. Yeah, and I have to say for myself also, like I <laughs> I had this, I I felt that with you, and I felt that like I've had these sort of, you know, people that I, you know, for myself, I'm like, well, they're more successful than I am. And, and based on what? And yeah, and it's totally, I have to say, it's, it's, it's like over the past, doing this podcast in part, but over the past three years or so has totally changed. And yeah. these people who I used to think of as competitors, I'm now literally doing work with. I mean, yeah. we're just collaborating, we're doing really interesting yeah. stuff. And it's so freeing and so yeah. much more oh interesting God. than yeah. so much more know, fun. You, yeah, and it's yeah. a lot a lot less stressful. You know, you can you know, if I wake up any day and pick a particular random metric, I can make myself feel bad about anything. Right, right. You know, if if I judge my entire career by TED TED views, right. I mean, my you know, there are other people who are moving ahead beyond me. I used to right. be number two. Right. Now I'm number four. You know, like. Who cares? I right. mean, like, I'm like, if that's all I obsessed about, right. then I would think my career is failing. Right. You know, it depends where you're looking. Right, right, right. But at the other, at the other side, I, I can, I can't just choose the metrics right. that are comparatively uh, bigger than other people because then I'll think I have, I have nothing to learn. Right. And that's that's equally as blind. Well, and it's, and it's false. And false. Right. Yeah, they're, right, they're both right. equally as blind. Right, right, right. And you know what did Teddy Roosevelt say? You know, comparison is the death of joy. Right. You know. Um, but isn't it a little hard not to? Of course, we're right. human. Right. Yeah, of course. So what do you do in those moments when you start comparing? You remind myself. Right. I it's remind myself I'm looking at a metric. Right. That I picked in this right. moment, usually by accident. Right. Because I happen to be. On that website, or right. you know, right. Um, and at the end of the day, to remind ourselves that, you know, I mean, I can take you back to the early days, like when, when I was on a stage, with some remarkable speakers. Right. You know, I mean, some of the best in the world, and and I was sharing a stage with them, and I remember feeling incredibly insecure and thinking that I had to give a better speech than them and that I had to get more a longer ovation than them right. and like and this is the pressure I put on myself now it's the complete opposite now I show up in complete awe that I can't believe I get to share my ideas with these incredible people that right. I love and admire right. and how humbled I am right you know and may we all get lots of right. ovation because it means we're all offering value to the world right you know and and it's it 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 just is a this is what what is why I was so profoundly moved by Dr. Carse's work you know, of this infinite game. Right. To understand the concept of the infinite game, 
very quickly you can change your mindset right. to to just find more peace in the in the success and the journey that you're on yourself right. rather than worrying about what everybody else is doing right um, because there is no winning this game because there is no right. finish line there is no well and all, also if you arbitrary. really care about what you're trying to produce like i i really care about a lot of the same stuff you care about of course and so That's why we get along and and it's like like how awesome that you're out there doing it yeah. right like and how nice of like, you invite me on your podcast right, like yeah. like like why wouldn't we help each other yeah like, and we're going to have an impact a grander impact than 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 we would have otherwise yeah. and you have to trust there's a tr- there's a leap of faith a little bit that you trust that say like this is going to I have a practice recently where as soon as I see myself competitive with someone I realize it's because there's something about them that I'm like a little jealous of, of course. which means that there's something about them that I really like, right? And then I try to identify what idea it is, and then I try to popularize that idea through them. Like, let me tell you something this person has just said well, that really impacted This me. is the idea of worthy rivalry that I talked about. Yeah. Our, our worthy rivals, their strengths reveal to us our weaknesses. Right, right. And we can either combine our powers and, sh- and so that both those weaknesses are mitigated, right. or we can work to improve. Right. And we take all that uncomfortable energy, instead of channeling it into competitive energy, we channel it into self-improvement energy. Right. Yeah. What's next for you? Um, well, I have a live tour that, we've, that we're experimenting with. Mm-hmm. You know, we're doing, we're doing our own events because we came to the realization that we're out there spreading this message of companionship and, and, and cooperation and, and human, uh, sort of that human dynamic. And, um, and the kind of conferences that I spoke at you know, just a lot of people couldn't go. You couldn't go. They're either private events or they're these ridiculous big ticket business events that right. you know just are prohibitive. Right, right. And so we decided to do our own uh, tour where we could set the agenda. I could decide what I wanted to talk about. I didn't mm-hmm. have anybody to tell me what they wanted me to talk about or what their theme was. Um, and we could make it a price point that was accessible to as many people as possible. So we're, we're doing that, which I'm really excited about. Well, and you must have had to develop an entire arm of the organization because that's a very different, that's a, that's a very difficult business model to like, I mean, I'm just thinking the model of saying, I'm going to go out to a place and, and really bring in a whole bunch of people to have this conversation. I think that's, it's hard. Yeah. Or not so much. It hasn't been so hard. Just work with people who know how to do it. Right. Right. We're not doing it ourselves. Right, right, right. We're partnered. Right, right, we right. partner like we have no clue how to do live events right I mean, that's at right. that scale right like we have no clue right, right, right. but turns out there were people who built entire businesses around around, around right. this stuff right, right, right. so I could try and reinvent the wheel and right, make right. a square thing that doesn't go very well right or I can find somebody who who knows how to do this and right. be like but you know as long as we share values right. as long as we have common cause right. then I want to work with them like I don't right. care if they're the best based on their own metrics right. I want to know like what uh, they care about. What they mm-hmm. care about. And do we both have equal passion to do this together? Right. That they're inspired by my work and I'm inspired by theirs. Right. And turns out, when you find those people, it actually, it hums. Right. So we have, we have some great partners that we're working with that right. are helping us do this. Yeah. Which makes the whole thing more fun too, right? Yeah, because of you're not alone. Of and we, and we don't have to learn. Circle. Somebody else's, we don't have to relearn a lesson that's already been learned. Right. Mm. We have been talking with Simon Sinek. Um, Simon's latest book is The Infinite Game. We didn't talk a ton about it. We talked about it in general, but there is so much more that we didn't talk about that is incredibly, an infinite amount. An infinite amount <laughs> that, well, but that's, that's also very um, uh, instructional, right? That, that kind of gives us a, yeah. a sense of like, how do we shift into play this? Yeah. You know, what are the elements? How do we create an organization that plays this infinite yeah. game? I mean, I was inspired by Dr. Carson's perspective, but, but 
um, one of the one of the opportunities was well okay got it now what right and so that's what I wrote I said okay if this is a truth because this is a fundamental truth that these two perspectives these two games exist right then if we want to convert our businesses the way we build our lives our careers away from a finite minded perspective mm-hmm. to an infinite one um, how do we do that and that's what right. I set out to to try and right. uh, try and share. I think you did a great job. Thank it's you. a great book. I Thank really you. enjoyed reading Appreciate it. I suggest that. that if you're listening to this podcast and you found this remotely interesting, mm-hmm. that you that you go out and buy the book and, and read it and be part of this conversation and join Simon in like in one of these events and engage in these ideas that I, I really believe help us not only to be more effective, but better people, which is ultimately what this is about. It's ultimately what this is about. Right. right. Thanks, Simon, Peter. Thanks so much. Such a pleasure. It's such a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Here's what I've learned from working with some of the most successful leaders of the most successful companies. Every leader, every team, and every organization has a leadership gap. If you want to become a leader who inspires your team to get things done, then you've got to start by raising the level of your leadership abilities. You can start by taking our free leadership gap assessment at www.bregmanpartners.com forward slash quiz. Then dive deeper with a copy of my latest book, Leading with Emotional Courage. For more ways to become a truly great leader, check out our online offerings, in-person workshops and events, and my articles at www.bregmanpartners.com. Again, thanks so much for joining me today, and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.